At this point, I want you to see that God is telling us about Jesus all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. And as we move through the book of Genesis and the rest of the Pentateuch, you will see glimpses of Jesus, even though he won't be born for several hundred years. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. In this episode, I'm going to begin an overview of the book of Genesis. And if you'd like, you can pause at this point and listen to episode 52. There I cover Genesis in one episode. And that will give you a quick overview of the book of Genesis. For this episode, we need to cover some introductory information. Now, though we don't find the name of the author, tradition holds that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, along with the rest of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch includes the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Jesus attributed Old Testament books to Moses. He says in John chapter 5, verse 46, that Moses wrote of him. And the end of Deuteronomy documents the death of Moses. So Moses couldn't have written anything past Deuteronomy. However, Moses wrote one or several of the first five books. And again, tradition holds that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, with the exception of Deuteronomy chapter 34. Obviously, someone other than Moses wrote that chapter because it records the death of Moses. And furthermore, Moses wrote the Pentateuch during the wilderness wandering. And this would have been the time between Exodus 15 and the end of Deuteronomy. And this time would have spanned about 40 years. And the Hebrew people would have just left Egypt after many years in slavery. So, why did Moses write the Pentateuch? Well, there's several reasons. First, he wanted to introduce the Hebrew people to the God who rescued them. Second, he wanted to show them their origin and history, where they came from, and why God rescued them. Third, he tells them how to live as God's covenant people. And then finally, through Moses, God records glimpses of Jesus Christ. The man prophesied in Genesis 3.15, the one who would come to defeat Satan. For example, the sacrificial system in Leviticus points to Jesus. In a burnt offering, the people would bring a male animal with no defects. And this animal would have been slaughtered by the priests. The blood would have been shed. Well, this sounds a lot like a sinless man who would shed his own blood for the forgiveness of God's people. Okay, since we now have a basic idea of the Pentateuch, let's dive into the first book, Genesis. In the first 11 chapters, Genesis lays the groundwork for the origin of the Hebrew people. It reveals the eternal God in the creation account. It reveals the fall of man and God's promise to defeat Satan. It reveals the depth of sin and the justice of God. It reveals the grace of God in that he doesn't annihilate mankind, who sinned against him. Instead, God puts forth a plan to rescue his people. And it also reveals the ancestry of the Hebrew people prior to Abraham. Chapters 12 to 50 cover Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these chapters reveal to the Hebrew people their origin through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It tells them how they became God's people. And it shows them how God preserved his people in order to keep his promise. And this is an important point to footstop. God made a promise to Abraham, and in order for him to keep his promise, he had to preserve his people. In fact, this is what we see throughout the entire Old Testament. 
God made a promise in Genesis 3.15. Jesus is that man promised. And in order for the promise to come true, God had to preserve Israel, which is what he does throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. Now that we have an overview of Genesis, let's dive into Genesis chapter 1. And the first thing to see is the starting point of creation in the beginning. And this implies that creation isn't eternal. And then the next thing that we see is God. He existed before the beginning. So God was not created. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. But there's more than merely the presence of the eternal God. We immediately see clues of the Trinity, one God that exists in three persons. And the three persons of the Trinity are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 4. There we see the Spirit of God hovering over the water. Now take a look at verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. These are first-person plural pronouns. So we see a plurality in the Godhead, a clue to the Trinity. Next, we see that God created. So God is the initiator, the creator in the beginning. But notice how he created. He spoke. Throughout Genesis 1, we see that God said, Let something happen, and it was so. Let there be light, and it was so. Verse 3. Let there be an expanse, and God made. Verses 6 and 7. Let the waters be gathered, and it was so. Verse 9. So God created with his voice. For a more thorough study on the power of God's voice, listen to episode 40. Now, the majority of this chapter shows the six days of creation. Let me say at this point, there are different views on how to interpret the creation days in Genesis 1. In my denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, there are several acceptable views of creation. And I'm not going to go over these different views. But I will say that there are men that I respect who hold to some of these different views. My view, however, is that each day is like the days that we experience today. Each day is a 24-hour period, or one revolution of the earth, not long periods of time. So I believe the earth is young, or thousands of years old, not billions of years old. And one reason why I hold to this view is that it seems to be the simplest way to understand the creation event. Another reason is the recurring phrase, there was evening and there was morning. And then another reason why I hold to this view is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And this is the command in the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. God commanded his people to work six days and rest on the seventh because he created in six days and rested on the seventh. And the word days is the same word in the original language in each instance. Therefore, how can one day mean 24 hours in one instance and long periods of time in the other instance? It seems unusual to say that people were to work six days and rest on the Sabbath day because God created in six long periods of time and rested on the seventh long period of time. And then also, one question we have to ask is, how would the original audience have understood this chapter? Would the Hebrew people in the wilderness have understood the creation event as 24-hour days or as long periods of time? It seems likely they would have understood the days in Genesis 1 as 24-hour periods and not long periods of time. Now, there's something else we see in Genesis chapter 1. And that is, man is God's special creation. 
We see in verses 26 and 27 that God made man in his image, after his likeness. And this will become clear in Genesis chapter 2. But here we see God creating man in his own image. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines this a bit more for us. Question 10 asks, how did God create man? And it answers by saying, God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Man is not like the other creatures. He's not a higher evolved animal. Man has capabilities that the other animals don't have. Furthermore, man is a moral creature. So man is a special creation of God. Now, the last thing I want to point out here is the quality of God's creation. Take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And there we see that on the sixth day, God looked at all that he had made, and it was very good. It wasn't just good, it was very good. If sin were in the world, how could it be very good? And this is important to have in mind as we move forward through the Bible story. Now, moving to Genesis 2, we see the establishment of the Sabbath at the beginning of the chapter. God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. And rest here doesn't imply that God was tired from working. He didn't need to take a nap. He didn't need to get some rest. The word rest here means to cease working. So God created in six days and he stopped working on the seventh. Now, the Sabbath is more than a work-free day following six days of labor. As with many things in the Old Testament, the Sabbath points us to something more significant. Certainly, God created in six days and rested on the seventh. and Certainly, God called his people to labor for six days and rest on the seventh. However, there's a reason why remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy is in the Ten Commandments. It's more significant than just remembering what God did. It's remembering what God is going to do. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says that Joshua did not give the people of Israel rest. Now take a look at verse 9. It says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews was written probably 1,500 years after Joshua led the people of Israel into the Promised Land, which took place after the death of Moses. And Hebrews was also written after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means there's a Sabbath rest still to come. And what is that Sabbath? Resurrection upon the return of Christ. We will rise from the dead in bodies that cannot sin, suffer, or die. And there we will live forever with our Savior in unimaginable joy and blessing. That's our Sabbath. That's our eternal Sabbath. The remainder of chapter 2 then focuses on the creation of man found in Genesis 1. In verse 7, we see God forming man from the ground and breathing the breath of life into him. Then man became a living being, and this was Adam. Now, there's something important to mention here. Verse 7 gives us hope of the resurrection. If God can breathe life into a lump of dirt, he can do it again when Jesus returns. There are lots of people who say the resurrection is not going to happen because people don't rise from the dead. But again, if God can breathe life into a lump of dirt, he can do it again. Resurrection is coming. We're just still waiting for it. Listen to episode 40 where I show you how God is going to bring us back to life. Returning to Genesis 2, God then planted the Garden of Eden and placed Adam in it. And he gave Adam the responsibility to work and to keep the garden. We see that in verse 15 of chapter 2. 
And then God gave Adam a simple command in verses 16 and 17. He said that Adam could eat from any tree except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that he ate of it, he would surely die. And again, this is an important piece in moving forward. In the remainder of chapter 2, God instituted marriage. God saw that Adam didn't have a helper, so he created Eve from one of Adam's ribs. And then we see God instituting marriage in verse 24. There he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, there are several things I want to point out concerning this verse. First, God instituted marriage before the fall of mankind, which we will see in Genesis chapter 3. I point this out so that you don't think that God instituted marriage in response to Adam's sin. Second, there's a union that takes place between a man and his wife. Certainly, to some extent, this is speaking of a child produced in marriage. After all, a child is produced by the union of a man and his wife. There is one flesh. However, there's more here. A man and his wife are actually united. Jesus spoke of this union in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Jesus discusses divorce in Matthew 19, and he tells us why divorce is unacceptable. God joined a man and his wife together, and the two became one flesh. Jesus is referring to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when speaking of union between a man and his wife. Therefore, because God joined them together, Jesus said, let no one separate the two. So, with Jesus' words in mind in Matthew 19, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, reveals a union between a man and his wife. Now, the third thing I want you to see is that marriage points to Christ. Paul makes this point in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. And you can listen to episode 72, where I discuss this in full. At this point, I want you to see that God is telling us about Jesus all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. And as we move through the book of Genesis and the rest of the Pentateuch, you will see glimpses of Jesus, even though he won't be born for several hundred years. So why did God do this? Why did he tell us about Jesus in the Old Testament, and in particular, Genesis chapter 2? He did this so that we would know his plan to rescue us from the very beginning. Keep in mind that the original audience of Genesis chapter 2 was the Hebrew people wandering through the wilderness after they left slavery in Egypt. God is telling them about marriage, but marriage is more than cohabitation. Marriage is about a union between a man and his wife. However, marriage is also about Jesus. So God is giving them a glimpse of Jesus as he institutes marriage. And we get to see that God had Jesus in view from the very beginning. Now, when it comes to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, do we see the name Jesus? No, but Paul tells us that Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 is primarily about Jesus, not the institution of marriage. So let's recap where we've gone. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see the eternal God and his power. We get a glimpse of the Trinity. See the Spirit hovering over the water at creation. We see God speaking with plural pronouns. We see Jesus, the Son of God, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, though we don't see him by name. We see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that man is God's special creation. He was created in the image of God and after his likeness. We see that God's creation was very good and that man was created without sin. And we see how God created man. God called the livestock and other animals from the earth. With man, however, God formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life in him. 
The way that God created man sets him apart as a special creature compared to the other animals. We see also the institution of marriage, which points forward to Jesus. And then finally, we see the institution of the Sabbath. And this points us to what is coming, our eternal Sabbath, where we will rest in the work of God. And there we will enjoy our eternal Sabbath in bodies that cannot sin, suffer, or die. And this eternal Sabbath was earned for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.